being able to share like what's working, what's not working, like what obstacles can people kind of face and, and being able to share that amongst each other so that we can continue to be a little more successful every time. And we can learn from the good things and some of the mistakes and pitfalls that we, you know, sometimes see as we're deploying technologies or bringing on teams, whatever that is. I'm George Comedy, and this is First Watch. We're continuing our celebration of Women's History Month with our series of interviews with women in cybersecurity, from CISOs and the lessons they've learned to what the next generation of defenders has to offer. We're bringing you two interviews per week, all month long. When it comes to building resilience, what's the role of community? How do we lift each other up? How do we improve the talent pipeline? And ultimately, how are we collaborating to make systems safer and keep data more secure? For this interview, I'm joined by Safeguard Cyber CMO, Lisa Hayashi, founder of our Vision and Voice Women in Cybersecurity community. Our guest today is Connie Matthews Reynolds, founder and CEO of RainCon and president of the Central Ohio ISSA chapter. I wanted to talk to her about how she has helped build a remarkable and inclusive community of cybersecurity professionals. Fair warning, this episode contains colorful language. Connie Matthews Reynolds, welcome to First Watch. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, Thank you for joining us. I want to start off with revisiting something that you and I were talking about at our event in Columbus, Ohio earlier this year. So I am outside of Columbus, so I was very surprised and elated to see just this incredible cybersecurity community that has been built there. It's it's like really nothing I've ever seen. And so I want to start by giving you some space to talk about what community means to you, because that's what we were discussing there. But it's well worth um, spreading that to the rest of our listeners. Sure. So, you know, I kind of grew I grew up in a military family and lived all over the globe. And so community has been a part of my life um, since I was born, you know, welcoming young military people into our, my parents' home and, you know, supporting the the military family when people didn't have military, you know, didn't have families actually in different countries. And so um, always have lived my life um, really talking about paying forward. And when I started around 18 years ago, people were really hesitant to kind of share and talk. And I will say that I was probably pretty relentless of saying, mm-hmm. look, the bad people, you know, or the bad hackers, they do communicate, they talk to each other. Why shouldn't we, you know, I'm not asking anyone to share crown jewels, but being able to share like what's working, what's not working, like what obstacles can people kind of face and, and being able to share that amongst each other so that we can continue to be a little more successful every time. And we can learn from the good things and some of the mistakes and pitfalls that we, you know, sometimes see as we're deploying technologies or bringing on teams, whatever that is. And so, it, again, it was just something that was really important to me because I knew, you know, the, the whole cliche, we're stronger together than all separate. And I totally believe in that as well. Um, and so for me, it was just how can we leverage each other's relationships? And so now we see in this our community where 
you know, the big companies sometimes before COVID, they would spend like a whole day with each other, just brainstorming, sharing ideas, mm-hmm. sharing concepts. Um, you know, and then if there was people looking many times, they would support each other. You know, obviously you don't want to lose good people, but we also understand that no one stays anywhere forever anymore. And so if we create this culture where everyone's winning, then even when we lose good people, there might, you know, we may be able to bring in other good people. And it's just that constant churning of really supporting one another. Yeah, that strikes me as a very on point. I remember hearing a CISO talk about how frustrating it was that threat actors are very collaborative (laughs) and that the infosec community wasn't as in terms of sharing tools or or tips and and that that goes a long way um i really like that you brought it also back to the talent pipeline right like let's adapt to the way that people are working and they may be moving but if we have a a broadly a talented pool of the workforce and we kind of trust one another, then that kind of makes the whole organism more resilient. Um, when I think about community, I think about participation, right? And there's a back and forth. Um, it's hard to be a member of a community and just extract, I would argue, you're not a member of the community. Um, so can you tell us about your experience with the cyber community? What has it contributed to you, uh, either from a business or a personal standpoint? And and what do you see as the obligation of those community members? Yeah. And so joking around, everyone always, when we get introduced, you know, in different, um, some of the nonprofit work that I do, everyone will always joke and say that Connie Wallen told me to, to do things. <laughs> um, and so everyone keeps saying they have a hard time saying no to me. But I think part of the reason that is, is because I'm one of these people, I'm a person of action. So I always am trying to make sure um, that I can give back. Cause you know, I've been, I own my own cybersecurity company here in Columbus. Um, and for me, it's not all about just getting assigned PO. It's really about how do we build our community to be stronger and how do we support each other? And so for me, it's just been one of those things where I try to lead by example. I'm far from perfect, but I think a lot of people have seen what I've done for this community and I've never really asked for anything in return. And my big thing is I always tell people in your career, I I personally think two of the best things you can do for your career is is public speaking and networking and getting involved. Um, Because when you sit in your home and you never outreach to people Mm -hmm. and you're in a position where you need to find a job, it's way harder to find a job when you don't have connections And I can just say my entire career, as well as the people like myself that are involved, when it's time for us to find the next opportunity, whether, you know, it's been a layoff or it's just not a good fit, it's just so much easier to find something when you have those those connections. And I think that when you start to get people involved, there's this energy that it brings of like really positiveness And one of the things I love so much about our community is we're very tight knit, but when someone comes into our community, as long as they're not an idiot, honestly, (laughs) people are really welcoming. And I, I really live my life like asshole, no asshole. Um, I just don't have time for people that are assholes to be quite frank, um, because they're not really about uplifting and helping other people. It's more about themselves. And that doesn't really make community when it's all about one person or two people or whatever that is. And so you know, I think in Columbus, it it hasn't always been the way it is, but it's just been a grind for year, years mm-hmm. after year after year of just 
getting people involved. One of the things that I did that really encouraged a lot more activity is the conference that I've been running here with the board of directors for ISA. Um, it's our 16th year doing it. And one of the things that I realized very quickly is I wanted to figure out how do we get CISOs and leadership involved in the community. So we normally have several panels where it's all CISOs or leaders within mm-hmm. our industry. Cause you know, not everyone has the CISO title, but or is more equivalent right. to that. And what happened is by getting them involved in the community, then they were more willing to send their teams. And so we have companies in Columbus at our conference that send two to 300 people from one company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting that, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out ways to do that, like at the high levels, but then um, we have worked a lot with high schools and colleges. And so this year we have at least 76 students coming um, to our conference in April and about 50 of them are high school students. But also, how do we uplift and help people be more successful in their career? And that doesn't always necessarily mean a leadership title. It could be an individual contributor, you know, as a security architect or something like that. And so for us, it's really finding those different areas and bringing them all together. And it's been really cool. We, I was mentioning to you earlier about ProScolis. We actually have their students come in and volunteer. And that's kind of when it started to change, where a lot of these students wanted to go into cyber and our even the vendor community has been phenomenal. Like they'll talk to them, like when you're ready to, you know, come into cyber, let's talk. We want to help you. And so it's that, you know, paying for it, just kind of opening doorways for people that may not know how to get into the door or are people that are a little afraid of it. And so when you have that openness in your community, I think it just makes it so much of an easier transition for someone um, to consider, you know, cybersecurity and FOSAC. We'll have more with Connie Matthews Reynolds in a moment. Stay tuned all this month as we celebrate Women's History Month with a double dose of First Watch. We're dropping two episodes each week featuring women in cyber from CISOs to first-year analysts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to my conversation with Connie Matthews Reynolds. Yeah, that is that is an amazing story. I, I do have um, a question here. So... What you're doing on the ground in Columbus is very admirable. And I'm cognizant that at the same time, the way we work has changed, right? So for example, maybe a lot of the businesses in Columbus that used to hire locally because they had an office have switched to this hybrid model where maybe more of their open recs are going remote. Maybe, I'm not sure, but have you found that that has had an effect on you know, you touched on the talent pool locally, you touched on hiring and, and uh, so stakeholder engagement locally. Has that difference between the way talent and the workforce, you know, is sourced and and the community resilience that you've built, is, is there a friction there? I mean, I haven't seen the friction as far as people getting involved. So um, a lot of people don't realize in uh, Ohio, we have more Fortune 500 companies than anywhere else in the U.S. And if you drive just around the loop uh, 270 in Columbus, there's a lot of really large companies here. Mm-hmm. And so for the companies, I think it's made it a little easier for them to be able to go beyond Columbus and surrounding areas when people were coming in the office, um, because really it's just been a battle of like people just constantly revolving around the circle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's helped. But what I will say is like, 
say, for example, like Huntington and Cardinal Health, um, where they have hired all over. So for our conference, many times they bring their almost their entire teams to Columbus to come to our conference. And then they'll do some things for collaboration because at the end of the day, they haven't had a whole lot of time to have that FaceTime. So our conference is, we're a nonprofit organization for ISSA. So our conference is very affordable. So it's not a super expense. I mean, the tickets are like $265 for a full two-day conference. It includes everything, including food. And so that's what I've seen um, some of the bigger companies do is just allow them to come for that week. And then we do training and we do all these different things Mm. and activities. And so I think that's happened. And, you know, it's been really challenging. Um, We, we were, we went back and forth. Like when COVID happened, we moved everything to hybrid and we had really great success stories. We did our conference for two years, hybrid. Um, And then I will say it's been really challenging to do hybrid events um, because people just decide in the morning if they don't want to come. And it's like when you have to pay for food and you're paying for all this planning, it's really challenging. So this year we are going a hundred percent in person um, and then what we decided for our monthly meetings is every other month we'll go one month, we'll do, you know, like a Zoom meeting, the next meeting will be in person. So that also allows for organizations in Columbus or surrounding areas, if they have teams other in other parts of the U.S. in the world, they can also still join, you know, some of our activities that we do virtually. So I mean, I think, you know, everyone has to do think differently. I mean, you know, I'm going to be 54 this year. And so I'm proud of myself that I'm pretty adapted to technology. But, you know, I mean, for most of my career, like I had to go to an office, Um, but I've worked from my home office for so long. Like that's been kind of a normal thing for me. But um, I just think we have to think differently and we have to think about engagement. And to me, that's the hardest part. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like having virtual conversations, Mm. I mean, they can be really good, but there's just, they don't take the place of being in front of each other. Um, And I know I'm bad. Like I have like a webcam, you know, in front of me and then my laptop's over here. And I'm like, do I, I don't even know where to look because, and you know, and so sometimes you're like, are they even paying attention to me? Because everybody's eyes are all over the place, you know? The the Um, writer, Elam Sakasis was writing about Zoom fatigue early in the pandemic. And he made the point that while it is instantaneous, you can't actually both look each other in the eye right? Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're looking yeah. at the screen, we, we can't meet eye to eye. Anyway, I will also say, Connie, I have met you in person, and it is very different to do, do it yeah. on Zoom. So yeah. uh, for sure, but I want to turn over the, the next part of the interview over to uh, Lisa Hayashi. Hey, Connie, as people started becoming hired in the pandemic, um, you know, with no experience in creating and participating in community, you know, how do you how do you suggest that um, they network? What kind of habits um, do you think, you know, we could speak to in in generating that sort of, I think, nuance around around networking? How does one become a good one? How do, how, what are some things that you've seen that have been great that people do in your in-person, especially as we think about what your motivation is here? You're looking to go completely in person, right? And so how do we so- do that? I think a couple of things, like I even know for myself, I'm a very outgoing person, but after being in Zoom calls for two years, I don't know about you guys, but I had, I had to retrain myself to look people in the eyes because 
your eyes were constantly all over the place, you know? And so silly things like those social cues can be really skewed, I think, when you're doing everything virtually. Um, and so one of the things that I feel everyone can do, especially if you live in, in major cities between like ISSA, Isaka, OWASP, mm -hmm. InfraGuard, you know, um, name your security organization, Cloud Security Alliance, I feel like um, all of them are starting to come back in person. Um, and, you know, some of them have hybrid options and some of them do not. And so if you can't have that interaction, I think, with your, you know, your current workforce or the people you're working with every day, I would encourage people to go out. Um, I think regardless if you stay at an organization or you move on to another organization, those relationships in the industry, you can't really put a price tag on those. And so, you know, I can say in my career, like I've never really had to look for a job. People will offer me jobs all the time, still to this day, even though I own my own company. But I know that's because I put myself out there and people mm -hmm. see what I'm doing. And, you know, mentoring has been something very, really important to me. And so, um, like even like all the ladies on our panel, I've mentored every single one of them. And a lot of the women in the audience I've mentored as well. And so I always talk about when you have an opportunity to pay forward, you should do that. And that's really the only thing I ask to do. And I think sometimes the younger generation, because they kind of graduated from high school or college and right, went right into the workforce, they don't have some of those social skills of being together in a group room. And so we've tried to create, you know, um, fun ways to get those mm. types of conversations. So they're more comfortable. And many times with people, I'm like, let's put you on a panel. So you know, it's not all the attention's not on mm -hmm. you, but it just, I also think if you are a good speaker, then you're normally a good, you're probably a pretty decent communicator too. And so those life hacking skills of just public speaking carry over into your professional. And so to me, you have to kind of be a little bit more deliberate than you had to in the past um, because of you know, sometimes like even at the the event we had, there were several people that had never met each other face to face until that night. So, you know, so it's one of those things where I think finding out how you can get involved in the community. And even if it's not cyber, there's other things like, you know, that you can do. I mean, I work with high schools and colleges too, and I've helped develop programs or cybersecurity programs. And I like Michelle and Jada and um, Michaela, we've all sat in a room with 20, 23 high school girls and shared our story. And, uh, you know, they follow us all on LinkedIn. And so we've introduced them to people when they say, Hey, there's someone that, and this is like, I'm really interested. Like one of the girls wants to do kind of the legal side of cyber and a good friend of mine has a cybersecurity, um, legal firm, which they just do cyber contracts. And so he, um, inter I introduced him to each other. And now like he's mentoring and talking to her and giving her advice on how does that look? What is it going to take to do that? And so it's, again, I think it has to be deliberate. It can't, Connie, it's not going to just happen. Connie, you said something really interesting just now, you know, you said you look for, you sort of look for something and you're really deliberate in that person in a way to connect the dots for them to help. And when you talk about mentorship, I think in order to be a great mentor, you have to find the reason that person needs mentorship and explore that. And I think what I see in you is like genuine curiosity, right? You're curious, you're curious about 
bringing people into cyber? How do we do that? Where are the areas in school? Is it in schools and education? Is it in networking groups? Is it in person? I just see this great level of curiosity with you. And I think that's what makes you such a great connector. I, I think, you know, that's something that you could maybe touch on with us on, on what really good networking looks like and in the room and, and sort of the questions that you've been asked where you're like, oh, that person really has something because they want to dig in and they're curious. I think, you know, maybe diving in a little bit to that could be really helpful because yes, I love that you create the space and the platform for people to be mentored, but then like, what is mentorable, right? In your mind, mm -hmm. what are you going to use your energy and time on? Um, and then how, how do you find those qualities within people in a networking environment? Yeah. And I will say I had to challenge myself because I'm a sucker. I have a hard time saying no for things <laughs> that are helping other people or good causes. And so what I actually started doing is I will, you know, anyone that reaches out, if, you know, sometimes it may take a couple of weeks for me to get on, on this, my schedule, but I'm like, let's just meet for a virtual coffee, or sometimes we can meet for a coffee. And I kind of just talk about like what they're passionate about. And sometimes when you talk about passions, you can start to see transferable skills that would be good in different domains within cyber. So like if someone's super analytic, analytical, they might be really good on more on the technical side. If someone's like very policy and process driven, obviously they might be good on the GRC side. And I just have them talk to myself, to me a little bit about what that looks like. But I think more importantly, what I've been starting to do is I literally give anyone I mentor homework and it doesn't mm. need to be anything big. It might be giving me their resume. It might be giving them something to research and then kind of like pitch it to me. Um, and what I have said to them, I'm like, you know, the younger ones, I'll give a little more grace, but I will only invest in people that are willing to invest them in themselves because I am a really busy person. And so, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I also hope it helps them in life lessons that you, I mean, you have to give and get, you I mean, it's like giving and, and getting, you just like, you can't just take from people. And so it's, you know, we're all busy people, but we want to help. And so I have found that the people that come back with the homework assignment tend to be the people that I see just you know, running marathons versus someone that's just sitting there trying to expect. I mean, I had one girl tell me that I was going to get her a job and I was like, I'm sorry, what did you just yeah. say? And I, you know, and I said here, I said, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you some, some harsh feedback, but I hope you learn from it because you can't ask someone that's willing to donate time to you. You shouldn't be telling them what they're going to do. It's really about a partnership. And I said, you know, and so we talk about those types of things. Um, and believe it or not, like for me, I was scared to death to be a public speaker. And now I do it all the time. And sometimes I'm like, how did this even happen? But I know like for myself, I also hold myself to a standard of always challenging myself to be better, to always learn. And I learn from the younger generation. Sometimes, quite honestly, I don't understand where they're coming from, but I still try to be open and understanding because everyone thinks and does things differently. And so, I mean, and I used to be a store manager for TJ Maxx um, for many years. And so when you're working with, I had like 500 people reporting through me and I, I mean, it really taught me a lot of those soft skills of like being a good listener, 
um, you know, helping people and building them up for success. Even if you have to, you know, dig to the bottom of the barrel to say like, these are the things you're doing great. Here are some things we need to work on, but here, you know, keep doing these other things just to uplift people and give people feeling like they can actually accomplish something. And, you know, for mentoring, I think, you know, mentoring, coaching, you can have multiples because not everyone has the same skill set. Not everyone, everyone can give the same types of advice. So I think you have to find people that kind of align in, you know, some people's personalities just don't work well together and that's okay. Um, but, you know, first of all, you have to ask. And if you don't, if you never ask, no one's going to be able to like, we can't read minds. It would be nice if we could read minds, but you know what I mean? It's just, again, it, it is being deliberate and you have to put yourself out there and that can be, I know, challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I really like the idea of homework. <laughs> you got to get uh, some some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to sort of round to home here. Yeah. And I know that we've heard that the Columbus chapter of ISSA is the, the jewel that is uh, envy of many other chapters. So, <laughs> but I also know when we, before we started recording, you and I were talking about how there's a misalignment sometimes of expectations, right? I want to I want to have what you have, and and there may be a misunderstanding of how much sweat equity was involved to, to get there. So, I just think I want to end on you know what would be your advice to building community and I don't want to say reaping the benefits, but putting in that that work to get to get the reward. Yeah. And that is a question. So I also sit as a co-chair for ISIS International for the leadership for all of the chapters globally. And we spend a lot of time talking about this. So people will say, I want to do what you did. And I said, I want to help you get there, but I just want you to realize that this is something that I've dedicated 16 years of my life, just pushing Mm -hmm. and pushing and pushing and lots of tears, (laughs) lots of sweat. Um, And I said, you know, sometimes you have to learn to crawl before you walk, before you run. And, and I know for us, like it wasn't, it didn't go from zero to a hundred. It's literally been us just working really hard um, and dedicating care and understanding and just listening and really just putting the effort in. And you want to always set up yourself up for success. And so you know, one of the things I like about ISIS International is we have an opportunity to collaborate. And so for me, I've helped start chapters um, and I provide them some of the things we're doing. Like we do a CISSP um, boot camp for an exam prep. I've donated to at least 25 chapters globally our PowerPoint decks so that all mm. they have to do is find resources. And we spend a lot of time pulling those together. And so that I, again, I'm trying to kind of continue to that collaboration of into international because people have been just like in their own little islands. And I do think COVID might've helped with a little bit because we went from always being together to being able to do things with other chapters because we were doing stuff virtually. Um, but I mean, I, again, it's a marathon and, you know, it's definitely a journey, not a destination. And I mean, to me, just like in anything in life, you get out of what you put in. Um, And so people have to, you have to find people that are willing to make those sacrifices and that actually care about making the world a better place, to be honest. And that can be challenging, but there are a lot of great people out there. It's just, and sometimes you have to help motivate them and, um, and find their strengths because not, again, everyone's not good at everything and just finding like, how do you support that system just, and you just kind of keep plugging away and, eventually you'll see great results, I think. 
Sounds great. That is a fantastic place to end on. Um, thank you uh, for your time, Connie Matthews Reynolds. I know you're exceedingly busy. So uh, we are very grateful for the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. You can give me homework anytime, Connie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'll do the homework. That's it for First Watch today. My thanks to Connie Matthews Reynolds and my co-host, Lisa Hayashi. To hear more interviews with leaders and more Spotlight episodes, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Mattia Cefaletti and production help from Jamil Mafi. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.